Uh, this morning, we're kind of in between series, in between seasons, um, just wrapped up Genesis going into Luke, and we're going to spend today in a beautiful psalm, Psalm 100. So you could turn towards the middle of your Bibles, big number 100 is where we're going to be. We're going to consider joyful gratitude this morning. Psalm 100, listen along as I read. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to God. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are His. His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good, and His faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray briefly. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your presence here with us. And thank you for your people. That was, that was really sweet, Father, just to, to hear your people lift up thanks to you. Help us now to receive this day, this moment as a gift from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Shout, serve, come, acknowledge, enter, give thanks, bless his name. Seven commands in five verses. There is absolutely no warm-up in this psalm. We go straight to sprinting. This psalm is short, yet authoritative. If you're familiar with rowing, it's like a coxswain. Someone who's maybe about five feet tall, 100 pounds soaking wet, but they're yelling out commands from the back of the boat. Psalm 100 is a call to worship with both joy and gratitude. And it allows for no middle ground. You can either respond to it or you could reject it. This psalm really lays some pressure on us this morning. And I know we don't like pressure to do something as Americans, and especially as independent New New Hampshireites. I know you know the feeling of resistance as someone starts to tell you something to do, whether in your house or at the workplace, and you start tensing up, and you plant your feet like you're stuck in cement. But my hope this morning is that we wouldn't resist God's command to join in joyful gratitude, and that we'd worship Him for His goodness. So with humble ears, hear this call from Psalm 100. Enter God's presence with joyful gratitude. Enter God's presence with joyful gratitude. This psalm is simple and has an easy-to-follow structure. Verses 1 through 2 are a command to joy, followed by a reason for joy in verse 3. And then verse 4 is a command for thanksgiving, with a reason for thanksgiving in verse 5. So let's look at verse 1 and 2. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to God. As one commentator says, this psalm claims the world for God. It's a global call to worship. Let the whole earth shout. This psalm beautifully envisions a world at worship and not at war. And when it was first written to these Israelites, that wasn't the case. The nations weren't singing worship to God. They were raging against God and against His anointed King. And right now for us, the church, this is a partial reality. 
This morning, we are worshiping King Jesus with over 2 billion Christians from all over the globe. The world is starting to warm up in worship. But it's not our full reality yet. This is the vision that we work for. This is the vision that we will one day enjoy. Nations gathering around the throne of God in worship, singing His wonders. This worship is global, but it's also joyful. We are to shout triumphantly. Now, now the picture we get here, we could actually see it in Psalm 98, verse 6. We could pull that up. But the picture is of a king coming back from a war, victorious, and his people lining the streets, shouting triumphantly his name. Look at this verse. With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout triumphantly in the presence of the Lord our King. That's a command to shout. Now, probably at this school, other schools, there you won't find one teacher who's telling their students to shout. Even in our regular life, we don't really shout unless things are going sideways. But th- we do have a positive example of shouting. When Jason Tatum hits the buzzer beater in the fourth quarter at TD Bank, we shout. When the Pats score that touchdown in the fourth to put them up, we jump from the couch and we shout. How much more should we stand up and shout for King Jesus, who is undefeated against temptation? Jesus, who took a punch from death, got up three days later, shook it off, and gave the haymaker to death, Satan, and sin. Shout for joy. So this is joyful worship. And it's also, we're going to move on from that. Well, New Englanders, we need to hear this. It is okay to get excited. All right? Um, In fact, it's fitting to get excited. But also hear this. While the global church, the two billion who are worshiping Jesus now, the global church has unity in joy, but diversity in expressing that joy. It differs from culture to culture, and even within our church, it differs from person to person. So in 2019, I had the privilege of going on a teaching trip with this group called Training Leaders International to Ethiopia, and one of the most rowdy, joyful experiences in my life that I had is we got to join a worship service in one of these backwoods villages in Ethiopia. The bass was bumping. You know, they were playing the drums, the piano. It was, you know, ear splitting in there. And they just started getting down. I never asked them what the particular dance move was, but it looked like the Rock the Baby. And then they raised it up and they did the halo. And before I know it, me and my boy Keith, who's like a Midwestern farmer, dairy farmer, we're just like, oh yeah, get down. So we are called to express our joy to God. And it's okay that we New Englanders will never dance like those Ethiopians. And it's okay if expressing joy to God looks like lifting a finger for you in worship or lifting a hand. By the way, if you want the full spread of, you know, the breakdown of the raising a hand techniques, see Don afterwards. He's got the field goal. He's got the catching the baby. He'll take you through the whole spread if you want some training. (laughs) It's okay to lift a shout of praise when we sing, your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion, Jesus, yours is the victory. It's okay to shout. 
And it's okay to take a deep breath during worship or have quiet, soft tears of joy. Whatever your expression of joy, shout for the King of Kings. This joyful worship is in singing, but it's also in serving. Look at verse 2. It says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. This is the beauty of being a Christian. We no longer offer animal sacrifices. We offer our whole life to Jesus in service. So worship with joy as you chop your wood. Worship with joy as you prepare a delicious meal or go to a concert or enjoy a walk or have some good coffee. Christian, what is the reason for your joy? If you go all the way down to the bottom, what is the reason you sing and you serve week in and week out? Verse 3 goes to the source of our joy, and it's this. We belong to God. Shout for joy, because we belong to God. He begins in verse 3, Acknowledge that the Lord is God. So if you want to know joy, then know God. As we reflect on God with our heads, our hearts will be filled with joy. God calls us to love Him with our head and our heart, our intellect and our emotion. We're called to reflect on Him and then to respond back to Him in faith and joy and gratitude. I wonder, have you ever picked up a book that doesn't just teach you how to be a better Christian, but it just page after page talks about the beauty of God? When's the last time you've taken a walk and you've taken out the earbuds? Just hungry to see the beauty of God in creation. The psalmist says, come and acknowledge God. And this is the reason for our joy. At the bottom of verse 3, he says, God made us and we are his, his people and the sheep of his pasture. This is the heart of our faith, this one line. You will be my people and I will be your God. Put another way, God says this to us. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Our joy, the reason we sing and shout, is because King Jesus, who conquered sin, death, and the devil, is ours, and we are his. Consider for a moment Woody. You know Woody from the Toy toy Story. What is Woody's joy and security? Andy is written on the bottom of his boot. Woody, this little toy gathers all of his meaning, all of his joy, all of his security from this one fact. I'm Andy's toy. Brothers and sisters, we belong to Jesus. That is our only source of security and joy. And Jesus' name isn't written on our boot. In fact, he writes his name on us, and he writes our names on his hand. Let's pull up those verses here. Revelation 3.12 says, All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God. This is Jesus speaking. And I will write on them the name of my God. So we belong to God. He puts his name on us. But then hear this from God in Isaiah 49.16. See, I have written your name on the palm of my hands. Unlike Woody... We never have to worry about Jesus going to college and losing interest in us. 
We never have to experience that sinking feeling that, oh, Jesus is putting me in the box of unwanted toys. He not only writes his name on us, Christian, he writes your name on his palm to never forget you. And he gives us this promise in Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love, a never dying love. If you're a friend here who doesn't know Jesus or you're watching and you don't know Jesus, I just have one question for you this morning. Who do you belong to? When everything is chaotic, when you feel lost, when you look at the bottom of your boot, when you look at the imprint of your soul, who do you belong to? For those who trust in Jesus, we belong to God in two ways. God claims us in creation. He makes us and says, you're mine. And God reclaims us in salvation. Though we run away from him, he brings us back through Jesus, through his death and resurrection. God is faithful to reclaim us like a faithful husband pursuing an unfaithful wife. God reclaims us like a good father receives a wayward son. And here in this psalm, God reclaims us like a good shepherd bringing back a frightened lamb to the fold. So what is our reason for joy? It's summed up perfectly in this beautiful catechism, the Heidelberg, in Heidelberg question one. So what we're going to do, we're going to have call and response. I'm going to read the question, and then you guys, you could read it out loud, okay? So church, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We belong. In life and death, our only comfort is that we belong to Jesus. Last Sunday, it was just me and my boy, the rest of the family was sick, we were driving to church. And out of nowhere, he says, Daddy, is our house going to go on fire? I was like, ooh, I didn't know. We had some open sockets or whatever. I said, why? Why? Why do you even ask that? And he said, I'm afraid to die. In that moment, I saw myself sitting there because as a little boy, that was my greatest fear, death. What do you say to a kid who is afraid of death? Well, death is a long way off, kid. You'll be fine. Or, well, you know, the statistics point that you might have a chance at a pain-free death. Take comfort. Take heart, little guy. Those are false comforts. The only thing I could think of in that moment was Psalm 23, verse 4. I said, boy, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The only comfort I could give my son, the only comfort I could give you, is that you belong to Jesus in life and in death. Or as the psalm puts it, He made us, we are His, His people, the sheep of His pasture. So we're commanded to sing, we're commanded to serve with joy, and the reason is we belong to the Good Shepherd. And now, He keeps going on with the commands, He commands us to enter God's presence with thanksgiving. Let's look at verse 4. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. 
and his courts with praise. Now, he calls us into this most holy place, from the gates, from the outer part, into the courts where God's presence was in the temple. And in the new covenant, in our day today, we come to God's most holy place through Jesus. Though we're dirty, He's clean. He cleanses us to bring us in. And you have to think about who this psalm was directed to. This psalm was directed to the whole earth. Idolaters. Pagans. People who did abominable child sacrifice. And God is saying to the whole earth, sing with joy and come into my courts. And it's only through Jesus that we could be made clean and brought in. Humans have an innate desire to give thanks. Um, my family, we enjoy watching this show called Alone. And if you're not familiar with the show in Alone, they take 10 contestants, they take them to a really remote place. Each contestant has like 10 items they could bring. And they basically see how long they could survive in that remote place. The last person standing wins. And uh, Andrew Sheard, he also likes the show. So as we were chatting one day, he said, Did you notice that every single contestant pours out gratitude? And they thank everything except God. And I was like, it clicked. I was like, you're right. They thank the lake for the fish. They thank the land for the serenity. They thank the squirrel they just shot for the squirrel they just shot. They hold the squirrel. Thank you, squirrel. People were made to give thanks because they were created by a God who showers gifts on them. We are created by a God who showers gifts on us. And here, this passage is saying, give thanks where thanks is due to God. I know we just celebrated Thanksgiving as a national holiday, but really Thanksgiving is a central virtue, central character of a Christian. If we could pull up 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. This is astounding. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything. Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If you want to know God's will for your life, It's that you joyfully give thanks to Him for things big and small and in every season, every circumstance. And this starts with repentance. Romans 1 paints this ugly picture of the human experience. Romans 1 says, For though we know God, we don't glorify Him or show Him gratitude. Instead, we worship and serve the created thing instead of the Creator. So let's repent of misplaced gratitude. Let's joyfully give that thanks up to God where it belongs. Now here's the beautiful thing. Giving thanks doesn't only bring glory to God, but it's good for us. It's actually good for our souls. Consider the effects of thanksgiving versus complaining. Gratitude expands the soul. Complaining constricts it. Gratitude expands your vision up and out to God and others. Complaining narrows your vision. It puts blinders on. God commands thanksgiving, and in His love and His wisdom, it's good for us. And even Harvard Medical School catches on to this. In an article in 2021, Harvard Medical School Journal, they put out this article that says, Giving thanks can make you happier. This is what they say. 
This is Harvard. The word gratitude is derived from the Latin word gratia, which means grace, graciousness, or gratefulness, depending on the context. In some ways, gratitude encompasses all of these meanings. Gratitude is a thankful appreciation for what an individual receives, whether tangible or intangible. And this is where Harvard really starts preaching. With gratitude, people acknowledge the goodness in their lives. In the process, people usually recognize that the source of that goodness lies at least partially outside themselves. So they conducted this study, and they had three groups, three test groups. One group, they were told to write down every single thing they were thankful for in a week. Second group was told to write down every irritation that week. And the third group wasn't told to do anything. Just write about the events of your life. After 10 weeks, those who wrote about gratitude were more optimistic and felt better about their lives. Surprisingly, they also exercised more and had fewer visits to physicians than those who focused on sources of aggravation. Giving thanks opens up our chest to look up and out. It is good for our souls. It's good for our bodies. I know that's not a hard science. But we've all experienced this. So let's get serious about Thanksgiving. If this is God's will for our life, not just for a season, if this is bringing glory to Him and it's good for us, let's get serious about Thanksgiving. And here's a few ways you could do this. Enter each new day with Thanksgiving. I know at least one of you, your morning routine is that you get on your knees and you simply say, thank you God for this day. That's beautiful. Enter a new season with Thanksgiving, whether it's graduation or moving somewhere or winter, fall, one of those seasons. Enter each new season with Thanksgiving. Enter corporate service with Thanksgiving. On your way to the car, list out things out loud, whether you're driving alone with someone else or the kids. Say things out loud. We could do that in a good uplifting times bus as well. Things that you're thankful for. This is what this passage is particularly pointing out. You could also get creative with giving thanks. Here's a couple ideas. Especially if you have kiddos, this works great. You could come up with a 100 Thanksgiving list. And what your kids have to do is they have to list out 100 things on like poster paper, 100 things they're thankful for, and there can't be any repeats. It has to be all different things. If you want to up it, it could be 500, whatever. It's up to you, parents. But at the end of that, you could throw an ice cream party or a pizza party. Get creative with Thanksgiving. There was one um, pastor at a previous church I was at, Pastor Sam. And his goal, I think this was a life goal, was in his journal, every single day, he wrote something new he was thankful for, and he couldn't have any repeats. I don't know how long Pastor Sam's going to live, but that's like thousands of things and no repeats. So eventually he's getting creative, like, thank you, God, for the lima bean. Thank you for the wetness of my dog's nose. But what that does is he's one of the happiest, healthiest people I know because he's just looking around. He's not just stuck inside or stuck watching the news. He's looking around to see things that he's thankful for. So let's get serious about obeying God's will to give thanks. So who is this God that commands thanksgiving? He's not Cinderella's stepmom, stingy but demanding. 
He's a lavish Father who gives us gifts. And we have 10,000 reasons to give thanks. And the main one is that God is good. So let's look at this final verse, verse 5. We've seen that we should have joy because we belong to God. Now we give thanks because God is good. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good and His faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. You see that four there. The reason we give thanks to God is because He is good. Now it's a really simple line. Especially for us Christians, God is good can sometimes be like a throwaway line. You know, the line, God is good all the time and all the time. Yeah. So we're so familiar with it, we breeze over how beautiful it is, how deep it is. This line, God is good, was written in a time when Israel was surrounded by pagan gods, surrounded by enemies who hated their guts. Think like Greek mythology, Zeus with his lightning bolts. Those were the so-called gods in Israel's day. Think Loki. He would be an awful god. You never know what he's going to do. He's the god of uh, mischief. mischief. Um, So in this, this world filled with gods who were temperamental, who were like us, you couldn't depend on them. This beautiful sentence comes in. God is good. And his goodness is seen in his faithful love and his faithfulness to all generations. God is good in all that he does. He's loving, He's forgiving, He's unchanging. And this is good news. This is reason for gratitude for ancient Israel. This is reason for gratitude for modern Americans. Think about the gods of America. The lowercase g, gods of America. Politicians, money, success, speed, celebrity. All of these so-called gods are ultimately unstable, unreliable, and sadly, Not too good. Our God is reliable, unlike most, many politicians. He's steady, unlike the stock market. He's gracious and he's gentle, unlike so many corporations that are focused on success and will just run over you. God is good, so we're called to give him thanks. If you're, if you're listening attentively, maybe you're, in a kid, you're a kid here, you might be thinking, God saying, say thank you, sounds a lot like mom and dad. It might be a little weird to us that God is commanding us saying, I gave you a gift, now say thank you. Well, God is taking on, us on a path of maturity. He's taking us from the obligated thank you to the willing thank you. The have to to the want to. Parents, as a, as a dad for young kids, I'm all, multiple times a day I'm saying, say thank you, say thank you, whether someone gets stickers at the grocery store, or mama gave them something tasty to eat, kids, say thank you. And the majority of my kids' thank yous are obligatory. As they get older, sometimes it peeks through and without even asking, they say thank you and you just want to cry. It's like, oh, that's awesome. Um, and if you have a good relationship with your kids, as your kids maybe become adults, some of the sweetest moments you could have as a parent of adult children is when they phone home and they say, you know, I was just thinking about how much you sacrificed for us, Mom. Thank you so much. Or your son comes home 
with his family for Thanksgiving, sitting around the table, and the thing they're thankful for is for mom and dad. They're going from obligation to willingness. From have-tos to get-tos. And so often we don't feel like saying thank you, especially if we're in a season of suffering, where we don't like where we live or where we work, where we don't like ourselves. It feels like an obligation when Psalm 100 comes and says, say thank you to God. But God is that gentle, loving Father who keeps saying, without any irritation in His voice, say thank you. And He's bringing us to a place of willing thankfulness. He's taking us from obligation to overflow. I want to end with a beautiful picture of willing thankfulness or joyful gratitude. Eugene Peterson, he was a pastor. He was a writer. Uh, He's most known for crafting the translation of the message. Now, no matter what you think of the message, good, bad, or indifferent, one of Eugene's legacies was his determination, his determined focus on God's creation and God's presence. To put it another way, Eugene delighted in unwrapping God's gifts and he delighted in unhurried time in God's presence, most oftentimes praying the Psalms on his dock there in beautiful Montana. He loved his butter pecan ice cream. He loved a good Dostoevsky novel. He liked to hike in his beloved Montana, a kiss from his dear wife Jan. And he loved being with God, praying the Psalms. Now toward the end of his life, Eugene had dementia. This was deeply painful for his family to watch. This was deeply painful to read, just as someone who never knew him, because he was brilliant. He was a man of words. He loved poetry and crafting beautiful things with words. But because of dementia, one day his son walks in and sees Eugene sitting in his seat with a blank stare on his face. And all, his, all Eugene could say to his son is, I feel so confused. Although dementia ruthlessly took over, Eugene remained joyful and thankful. His biographer says this about Eugene's last days and his last day. Those final couple of days, he said thank you over and over again. When anyone fixed his pillow or helped him with a drink, thank you. Often, he simply mumbled under his breath, thank you. And this was gratitude infused with joy. This is a living example of our psalm. This was gratitude infused with joy. One afternoon, Eric, Elizabeth, Leif, and Amy, that's his sons and daughter-in-laws, were all sitting next to him, lined up on one side of the bed. Eugene opened his eyes, and it took him a moment to gain focus and recognize who was there. Then his eyes went bright, and he broke out in a wide smile. Wow! He exclaimed. And this is his last word on his last day. Last words. They were barely discernible, but they sounded like, thank you. So ROG, Eugene entered God's presence with joyful gratitude. Let's join him.